In today's quest, the showdown between church and state is happening on the political battleground. What happens here can set the precedent for generations. This is the quest for power. Welcome back, my friends, to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are your lore masters, Scott and Michael, and today we will be uncovering the secrets of Caribert, of House Merovingian, the first of his name, true heir of Kildebert I, Clotaire's favorite son, King of Paris. A lot of titles. He's got quite a bit of them. Yeah, I, that, that was a fun one. So if you're looking for some more adventure and want to join the Lore Masters Guild, you can do so at patreon.com slash quest for power. If we're there, we have side quest episodes to discover the people, places, factions, and things hidden in European lore. Dungeons that are not in the main quest, and you will also get the perk of having a shout out from us welcoming you to the guild. So Scott, what have you been up to lately? We last did a D&D session, but it feels like forever since then. Yeah, well, we've had our D&D and then of course between uh, travel and then I got COVID for a bit. So That's it's, right. been, yep. it's been a challenging few weeks and uh, I'm glad that I'm at least in some fighting shape and can speak because previously I was struggling. Um, yeah, but, and before you know, that, I think I was out for the count too, so it took us forever to get recording again. <laughs> yeah, it's a cold flu and COVID season. And that it is. That consumes and holidays. Yeah, that too. But <laughs> at least we're done, at least for now. Just got the yeah. rest of the end of the year to look up, look forward to. All, what, two weeks left? I know I, I saw that and I'm like, oh my God, I have so much crap to get done at work yet. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say year. Christmas shopping. <laughs> no, no. I think we got, I think, uh, I think we're fine so far. Cause uh, I can just say um, my, you know, my child is the present. <laughs> is that how that works? Is that how that works? That's all, that's all that works. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel like anyone would blame you. It's just, I've never, uh, never heard the, the, the child, uh, the child is the present. Yeah. My wife was like, we should just wrap them up in a bow and say, there's your present. <laughs> the fact that he exists. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> was, uh, the the none of the family members did they have a lot of the when are we getting grandchildren conversation no oh no no we're the first ones so you know so that well, i feel like that's got to be like more pressure right oh oh i mean maybe but i don't know no i don't you know. think so we were too busy like my wife is uh has a lot of tests to take for her profession so like you know we <laughs> we couldn't really do that even even when we did have a kid it wasn't the best of timing but it, it, it's never the best of timing to have a child so you know actually yeah. <laughs> it's got to happen <laughs> it was yeah it was just one of those like odd things where i was like you know it feels like some families are 
some family members really are just like, where are my grandkids? Like, <laughs> Here's your present. Here's your yeah. present, mom or dad. Yeah, I mean, they're excited. Don't get me wrong. Both the sets of grandparents love having him around. So, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, that that works for that <laughs> that's just kind of a funny thing because yeah you'd be like here's it. your here's your damn present <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh what about you you get anything for here your mom or dad uh i am and then or some of it's i have i'm in i'm in process christmas shopping and I'm not going to see my family until after Christmas anyway, so I've got a little extra time. Yeah, I, I did my traveling for Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'm going to let that one slide. We'll, we'll catch up in January. So, fun stuff. I'm excited for the holidays in general. I like I like the season. Everyone's so happy, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's always a fun time of the year. You want to migrate to less happier topics? Let's get into much less happy topics. Not so merry and cheerful and joyous. Uh, before we get into that, we have our very non-cheery source, Gregory of Tours. He is alive during this time, so we're going to get a ton of information that we would not have gotten otherwise. But the thing is, is he is involved very closely in some of these events, and you can kind of tell in his writing. So his bias is even more heavy than it was in the past so like certain people he hates and he really lets you know that they suck well, at least he stands by his principles that he does that i i will have to give him that uh <clears throat> so there's not too much in the background here um he is gonna be born around 521 he is the oldest son of clotaire and his wife ingood which we did last episode. And if you did not see Clotaire's episode, or I guess hear Clotaire's episode, you don't really see it. If you did not hear it, I would highly recommend you check that out because that was packed full of information and it's going to set you up for the for his children who are just going to cause all sorts of chaos in uh, Europe. Caribert's stepbrother, Cram, was constantly being a royal pain in the ass to their father, speaking of Clotaire, throughout his entire reign. So in 558, Clotaire sent Caribert and his brother Gontran to go deal with the stepbrother and retake the region of Limousine. Uh, it looks like Limousine, to be honest, and I'm just going to call it that because sure uh from their troublesome brother uh this place is in the southwest part of central france so it's kind in the central just a little more southwest there and so the rival forces met at the foot of black mountain they're all ready to go to battle but before battle begins caribert and guntran went to their brother and went look we don't need to kill each other. Just hand back the lands that belong to father. When he dies, you will get the lands anyway, but you won't get them if you're dead. So, you know, you might want to hand them back now. Which is, you know, pretty solid logic, I would assume. If you're going to get it, why, why go through the pressure of, you know, war and unpredictability that battle brings? Yeah. Speaking of unpredictability, 
<laughs> yeah. And uh, Cram went, eh, no, that doesn't really work for me. See, I really like it here and I want it now. I don't want to wait. So the two sides began to prepare for battle and then another torrential downpour came and prevented the battle from taking place. There was no prayer this time. It was just a, God decided that, you know, he wanted these two sides not to fight for some reason. A messenger came by after the storm and said that their father Clotaire died fighting against the Saxons. So, you know, that's going to be a mad dash to get back, you know, to, to home base. So Caribert and Guntran did not want to be left out of the succession plans. So they went straight to Burgundy, which is where um, it must have been that the uh, will would have been read. And, you know, mm. the succession plans would have played out. Later, they realized it was a trick by their brother who sent the messenger. So got a little outsmarted there. Not not very good. Uh, but no re repercussions were recorded. Like their father didn't do anything for them being so kind of naive. And I wonder how their brother managed to convince him, convince them that unless he used like a double agent in terms of a messenger. It's like, yeah, this is, this feels surprising that a lot of big no-nos I feel like are committed and yeah, everyone just, I think everyone's just like we're all at, we're all horrible people, and yeah. they just walk their separate ways. Yeah, except for Cram got the the worst end of it because he eventually got him and his entire uh, family executed by burning in some poor peasant's hut, uh, set a, a light by Clotaire. So you know he's out of the secession by being dead. So maybe he should have listened to his brothers beforehand, and then he wouldn't have you know, I don't know, died. Yeah. Well, lessons you learn. Exactly. For the next lifetime. He can only learn it once. but that is, that is true. This is a pretty harsh lesson. Before his uh, death in 561, uh, Clotaire reunited the entire kingdom once more since Clovis. So, you know, the kingdom's all united. It's one big empire, quite a force in the world. And then he died in 561. And Caribert met his brothers in Soissons to bury their father with high honors and great reverence at the basilica that he began to build on top of the tomb of St. Medard, who is the same bishop that I thought that Clotaire murdered in our previous episode. So it's kind of funny that he murdered that bishop, built a basilica after him, and now he's buried in that same basilica. Kind of full circle there. Yeah, yeah. Shortly after the funeral, uh, shortly after the funeral, before secession plans were even brought out, their brother Kilprick tried a page out of Clotaire's playbook and just took possession of all of their father's old castle and his land, and he tried to lay claim to the entire realm before anyone could do anything. <laughs> so he's like, I've seen father do this, so I might as well try it. In response, Caribert allied with his brothers Guntran and Sigurbert, and they marched to the castle, and they basically went, all right, don't make us come in there and kill you. Our foster mother would not be very pleased if we had to kill you. 
So Kilprick realized eh, he might have overplayed his hand a little bit and he surrendered without a fight. Uh, Clotaire's episode, not Clotaire's episode, Clotaire's kingdom was then split up among Clotaire's four heirs according to the Salic law, all the way created by Clovis, which is why we're going to have just, you know, tons of chaos in the future. So according to this law, the mode of secession, the kings were split up from the oldest to the youngest. So even without primogeniture, being the oldest, which Caribert was, still had its perks because he got the best land. So that's kind of nice. Caribert being the oldest, he received the kingdom of Paris and Aquitaine, which was the former kingdom of his uncle, Kildebert I, before he died and that passed on to his father. So he gets like the good part of the land. His kingdom is located between the Somme River and the Pyrenees Mountain, which is between France and Spain. Hmm. And he gets Paris as the capital, which was their um, father's, Clotaire's, uh, and I think Clovis's capital as well. It's like the big, big city, as it you know still is today. Yeah, the parts so, that people care about. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so the kingdom was the richest kingdom in terms of income taxes. He had great natural resources. It also had the most unified population in terms of, you know, phys- psychological, not psychological, in terms yeah, of like, demographic. Like a nationality makeup. kind of exactly and it's the easiest kingdom to defend as well it has really good natural borders so it's again it's pretty great being the oldest in this time of age even if you don't get the entire thing so now he became the guardian of clovis's tomb so that even you know gives him even more clout and clovis is now becoming more of a mythological character rather than you know Oh, that was Just my father. Because yeah. He, yeah, he's he's now because they're getting more and more farther away, and it, they didn't exactly have the internet to make things seem so close. Like I can't imagine what it would feel like to have like that far away versus to us that wouldn't be anything, but to them that would be quite a distance. Or wait, what? Wait, how many generations between? Just one. He is their great-grandfather. Well, that's what I was saying, yeah. I couldn't remember his grandfather or great-grandfather. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, great-grandfather Wait a minute. would be pretty... No, he is their grandfather. That's what You're I right. thought, yeah. Because, yeah, because it's... Even then, it still seemed like, according to some of the sources I was saying, is like Clovis is this mythological character. Again, remember, he unified all of France for the first time. He converted them to christianity so it was kind of this more mythological character at this time and it was all it was a big deal being able to get his tomb it sounds like a cultural yeah that uh more along the lines of we are intentionally developing this kind of cultish kind of fanaticism about him Yes, yeah, definitely. And especially his own family would want that because that just gives them even more legitimacy uh, for to be able to rule. Yeah, between that and Clovis's father, you really got this like legends and birthrights. Exactly. Intentionally yep. crafted over over decades. Yeah, so, and even and it. even then, it spans all the way back to Troy, <laughs> so they really were able uh, to yeah. recon what they, 
how they're like, oh, yeah, of course they belong to the Trojans because, yeah, you know, yeah. that's how Rome started. So, of course, we started that way, too. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. So I think it's pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. But I can appreciate the doesn't doesn't demit as much, I guess, crap as we talk about the fact that it's all like mythologicalized. That doesn't really diminish his accomplishments as far as reuniting oh, France just to break up again. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole breaking it up part, that that diminishes it a little bit. And that was a dumb move. But other than that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Kildebert had a young man in his court named Gundevald. And he was actually a pretty big ally of his and was quite influential. little background on Gundevald, and I'm not going to dive too deeply because, spoiler alert, he's going to have his own episode. So while Kildebert was holding court, a nameless woman presented a young child with long hair. So that should tell you right away uh, what family he belongs to. Uh, to Kildebert, and she claimed that she slept with Clotaire, and this boy named Gundevald was hated by Clotaire for unjust reasons. So for some reason, Clotaire just hated this boy. And I don't know. Yeah. And Kildebert, remember, this is his brother, Kildebert. Uh, he was already starting to be, I mean, he and his brother Clotaire didn't exactly get along. So just to piss him off, he's like, I'll take the child. And he actually had the intention of making the boy his heir since he didn't have any children of his own. But Clothair got, not Clothair, Clothair got wind of this. And when Kildebert died, he immediately seized Kildebert's kingdom and summoned Gundevald to Soissan. And he basically publicly humiliated him, denied him that he was his son. And he's basically said, cut your hair or else. But does he cut his hair? He, uh, yeah, he does. He actually does cut his hair. So um, he must be getting soft in his old age, Clotaire, because he didn't have him killed. I'm pretty sure younger Clotaire would have had him killed. Yeah. Well, if, I mean, in the end result for him is the same as that there's no. Can't be king if you got short hair, apparently. He exactly so saith the rules so but my question is is like why does this matter so much if he's a true bastard and not a son from a legitimate wife nothing would have to be done he's already like out of the inheritance so why does he go out of his way to denounce this child so that Probably. tells me that this woman was actually one of his like second-rate wives and so it would have made him an heir because he had to publicly denounce him. So what did she do to Clotaire? <laughs> that. Or her or just like You just had your bets, right? Like that, that could be. It's a, it seems like a low risk thing that you can just denounce this guy who's theoretically not even in the running, but just be like, yeah, this guy is a punk. Yeah. Just in case someone on the off chance decides that hey this is uh um yeah hey on the off chance that someone says hey this this person is legit yeah and and 
the reason we don't get to learn any of this is probably because Gregory wanted to keep his head connected to the rest of his body. So when Reasonable. he was writing this stuff down, the the current people he was writing for probably didn't want Gundavald to be looked as legitimate. But for some reason, he was allowed to stay at court. And as long as he kept it, cut his hair and he kept it that way. So when Clotaire died, Caribert took Gundavald in again, and he treated him like a true stepbrother. He let him grow his hair back, which gave him royal status. And by these actions, he became a real ally in his court. So that's kind of cool. Uh, it seems that Caribert, though, cared about the church just as much as his father did. And if you recall correctly, his father really didn't care about the church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Since his father was no longer, you know, at least in the flesh trying to get to heaven, Caribert went, I'm going to try and uh, tax the tax-exempt city, tax-exempt cities. Uh, I think Tours was one of them. But as you know, nobody fights harder against taxes, even today, than the church. The bishop of Tours at this time, Euphronius, so not quite Gregory yet, is the predecessor of Gregory. Uh, he got, he convinced Caribert to see the errors of his ways and got tax exemption status for the city to continue. So, despite not being exactly thrilled, he was getting strong-armed by the church a little bit. So, uh, and if you're keeping score... That would be Church One, <laughs> Caribert nothing. <laughs> yeah. Caribert's brother, Sigebert, married a woman named Brunhilda. And you're going to hear a lot about Brunhilda in the upcoming episodes. But anyway, during their wedding, poet, poet Fortunatus, uh, he's going to later become Gregory's best friend, one of Gregory's best friend, so Gregory just talks about him in glowing terms. But anyway, this poet made a panegyric about a wedding couple. Do you remember what a panegyric is? We've talked about it a couple of times. Yeah, you know, I was uh, kind of glancing at this word, and it always makes me think of, I mean, I didn't really even read the rest of the notes, but like a, you know, obviously a poem, now that you mention a poet. Uh, yeah. But... No, this is definitely like a poem that is of a positive sort where you're talking, basically you're saying, hey, this person is great. Or in this case, this wedding couple is, is all that in a bag of chips. Oh, yes, definitely. You hit it on the head. They just basically want to tell the subject of the poem how wonderful they are because, you know, they paid them money to do it. <laughs> so... Apparently, the poem was so good that Caribert got a little jealous, and he wanted to be told that he was God's greatest gift to the world, too, not just his brother and his sister-in-law. You know why I remember this? is because um, it always reminds me of the, uh, the, the, the Nightwish song, where, like, how's the heart, and they, they sing a human paean. Oh, Okay even though the base of the word is a little different, but it, it's what reminds me. Yeah. Human. Interesting. Pain. Yeah. I can see that. Not a great album, but the song is nice. <laughs> you know, no, that wasn't. That's how I remember. That's how I remember the, the panegyric. 
That's funny. I like that. Uh, well, anyway, Fortunatus rolled a nat 20 for his performance check. And honestly, I think he should have been given a castle for how well he did this one. He That's basically, a tall order. It is. It is quite a tall order. Uh, he starts out by saying Karabert is the greatest of all Frankish kings. He is the one true heir under Kildebert I, not just by birthright, by the quality of his character as testified by Kildebert's widow, Ultragotha, whom Karabert took great lengths to honor. And Fortunatus reminds us that Karabert is the eldest of his brothers and that he alone was born with the political intelligence of their father. And everybody knows that Karabert was his favorite son. This makes me want to like just puke. <laughs> this is just, I don't know, it's just laying it on so thick. <laughs> Oh, don't, don't, we still got more. Moreover, he's the embodiment of imperial and Christian values. He yeah, is as triumphant guy. as Emperor Trajan, as wise as King Solomon, and as merciful as King David. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah, <laughs> this is, he's, Christian values is a bit of a stretch on this fellow, because <laughs> we already kind of established that he's not exactly... <laughs> him and the church are not buddy buddy yeah exactly and he, he later goes your predecessors enlarged their homeland by arms but not you Carabert. you did by reigning without inflicting defeat and by that you conquer more do we have any proof of that is there no. any literally anything <laughs> that says that he ever <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I got nothing. He, I mean, he did get quite a bit of land when his father died, and he didn't do it. You know, to really commit uh, to violence. Boy. <laughs> that's about it. He also goes that Carabert spoke Latin better than most Romans did. And oh, by the way, have you seen how handsome he is? His looks are a direct reflection of his graciousness, <laughs> and that's. I'm sure there's more, but that's as much as I can find. He's like, stop, stop. I can <laughs> only get so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm going to be honest. I know like, it makes you want to puke, but I want more of these. I hope we get to see them because they're so entertaining. One, they show us how the monarch wanted to pre present themselves. So like, Caribur, as you clearly see, wants to be presented as this Roman imperial figure who is Christian, <laughs> very Christian, of course. And that's how he wants to prevent. And that kind of gives us some of their motivations maybe for later on. Although I don't understand the whole Christian one towards his motivations because it's not the most Christian king. Yeah. But... Uh, but this gave me some inspiration, Scott. So if for some reason, someone, I don't know why you would, you want to become the Arch Lore Master tier on Patreon, we will write a small panegyric for you or someone you want us to honor, and we will read it out loud on the podcast and we'll send you a copy to print and display to everyone on how awesome you are. Scott, I'm sure you want your own panegyric of tell people telling you how great you are. Oh, you know it. I'm a, I don't need I don't need someone to tell me how great I am. You just know it. I just know it. There you go. I'm a poet, and I didn't know it. <laughs> Solid, like it. 
uh let's let's go back to weddings so Caribert's first wife named ingo berga uh it's estimated she was born around 520 we have zero idea of her lineage or why they married in the first place i'm gonna go out on a wild limb and say she was probably just some peasant and he did what the franks do they marry peasants uh however it's seen or non-nobility i should say not just peasants it doesn't seem like this was the happiest of marriages though because according to gregory of tours even she was fed up with her husband's many mistresses and that she grew jealous of the love that caribert had for two of her servants so not just one that he lusted after two of them and they were happened to be sisters named Merofleta and Mero Marokovetha. I think that's how you say that. Marokovetha. Not Marokovetha. Marokovetha. That's a mouthful. Anyway, (laughs) in an effort to rid herself of them, she secretly gave work to the father of the sisters who happened to be peasants who their father was a peasant wool carter. And for some reason, she thought that when the king saw the father making some sort of thing and, you know, doing his job, that he immediately would dislike the two girls because of the status of their father and would no longer sleep with them. Yeah, I mean, it definitely appeals to the propriety of royalty, right? I mean, yes, but Frankish kings don't go after right now currently have not really gone after nobility unless it's a very political marriage because they want heirs if you don't have a male heir your kingdom is kind of at risk so they marry and because they can marry as many women as they want they'll actually marry peasant women because also they can get rid of them too hmm yeah. It's a lot easier to get rid of a peasant woman than if you marry the princess over in Spain and oh now you if you get rid of her now you have Spain against you versus if you just get rid of this peasant woman no one's going to back her up. Yeah. Sad but that's the way it works. Uh it checks out. I I feel like that there is some level of propriety. It, it just feels like a, a strange move if there's if if they truly don't care about who they marry, then this this move would be really bizarre. I agree. Maybe it is. I but agree. I feel like that there is some level of like, hey, I'm going to make these people seem as like just unappealing as possible. That could be, yeah. And when the king saw this, he saw right through the queen's scheme and he exiled his wife basically on the spot out of the castle. Like he he threw himself into a rage so this argument must have been going on for a while and we only see the blow up from it by the basis of what we're told from gregory just a jealous queen yeah i mean (laughs) she can't sleep around but you know others she get her head cut off but it's fine for him too i mean i get it (laughs) it's not exactly the world The way the cookie crumbles. Unfortunately, it is. Uh, (laughs) So immediately following this event, he threw the middle finger to his ex and he married Merofleta, who was, you know, her servant. And she took Ingelberger's place as queen consort of the Franks right away. So it's kind of funny. This is a literary trope that 
like actually happened a servant falls in love with the king the current queen does something stupid it's the evil queen she falls out of favor and the servant ends up becoming queen and they live happily ever after the end unfortunately Marofleta dies of later of unknown causes i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's probably just being ill in the middle ages hmm. medicine's not exactly great at this time a, a cold might kill you yeah uh th yeah there's no mucinex or dayquil uh, <laughs> yeah he then took a page out of his father's playbook and married his sister maro kovefa and this was definitely considered incest by the church so even though their fa his father did it and it was maybe just frowned upon but it was fine church really gotten an uproar over this and well, they might have sent some weakness in this guy they must have his father a lot stronger or or they just saw and they're like all right once <laughs> we can maybe let's like twice all right this is yeah this is too much yeah we are not letting this be a thing and yeah. uh also going against them is a plague began to ravage Gaul, including Caribert's kingdom of Paris. So people were extremely superstitious back then. And this is really unfortunate timing because it actually appears like it was God's wrath indicating his displeasure of the marriage. You know, because God really cares about this one tiny marriage in this tiny little kingdom in this vast world. I mean, the plague says otherwise. Exactly. Uh, so actually, it, this plague got so bad and they were so, so superstitious that Caribert's bishops halted all weddings until God's wrath subsided and the pan and not pandemic epidemic ended. Oh, that's fine. You know, yeah it is you know for an all-loving god that's one hell of a temper tantrum for a pretty inconsequential marriage <laughs> well i mean he really wasn't characterized as loving back then i mean that is that is true <laughs> that's at least is my understanding that's a lot more of a modern no, interpretation no that i, I mean there the is whole... a loving but there is still like depending on obviously your religious group some are more uh wrathful versions than others if you look the the old testament god yes was a very wrathful one but the christians were like i don't want the old testament i want the new testament which is this newer more nicer god after his son you know died on the cross then for some reason softened him up and then he was much more forgiving and things like that in the new testament which is what the christians followed so if they were jewish i'd kind of get it but i don't know just just know. this is from it, the source material alone <laughs> Not, and this is my personal disconnect with of course christianity in general but also christianity back in the day mm -hmm. where it, it always felt like especially back then like even you know in uh medieval even... europe that there, there's still a lot of fire and brimstone Heck, there's still fire and brimstone now you go to some churches in Christianity. Yeah, yeah but like back then, it, it just feels like that it doesn't feel very loving when the threat of fire and brimstone is yeah. a very prevalent thing. Yeah, and which is, 
It's very yeah. interesting because what got people to the church and became Christians in the first place was that there was forgiveness and that you had this chance for a happier life versus the pagans were really like, yeah, the gods kind of suck, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Versus Christianity went, no, our God is just so much better. He's the only one. Exactly. Anyway, after this event, uh, four years, I think, to be exact, the bishops hounded Carabert to hold a council for them to settle church matters because even though, uh, you know, he's not head of the church or anything like that, he is the one who gets to decide when councils are held and stuff. So they really hounded him and he's like, fine, you can let your have your stupid council in 567. And in this council, clergy from all over the kingdom attended to this really important event, the Council of Tours 567. And the first order of business is they needed to make it clear that the clergy should not be having sex with women. And they were very clear it was with women. Nothing about sleeping with men. (laughs) And thus a centuries born precedent. Exactly. made right here <laughs> all the way in tours uh they go on to say that those committing those sinful acts with a woman in bed will be excommunicated for one year and you're no longer clergy but you're just a simple lay person oh they're gonna lay yeah they are <laughs> Yeah, they they already laid so but All it's right. very the, the wording was very specific it was uh, in a bed so they say nothing about committing these sinful acts on the floor a chair a baptismal font you know there's a lot of loopholes they left in this plan yeah either that or it's just i don't know implied <laughs> the, the phrasing <laughs> yeah like they, they probably had to do everything except saying just like intercourse Right. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't say like, that. God forbid. <laughs> God, I mean, apparently, literally, literally, God forbid, because they wouldn't put it in the. Yeah, so they, they really had to dance around the topic and create exactly. a lot of loopholes. Exactly. <laughs> or you have that really conniving guy who's like, mm, I, if I write this loophole in, I can still, I can still commit my sinful acts. <laughs> that is true by the by the letter of the law still not getting in trouble see see i i did not <laughs> we were not in bed yes we were on the baptismal yeah. font but that is not in bed <laughs> i feel like these are not uh literally minded people <laughs> no no but it's i feel like they're in the spirit after. of the agreement more than the the wording <laughs> yeah yeah i could agree with that so after they got you know that all out of the way they agreed that something needed to be done about incest this is getting ridiculous and apparently they were so fed up with Clotaire's antics that the minute Carabert stepped out of line they're like okay I think we need to spell this one out I don't know how to make it clear to you people stop marrying your in-laws bad and uh, so they deemed the punishment for this type of behavior must be excommunication. So that went from zero to a hundred real yeah. fast. 
so therefore, they laid the charges of against Caraber and accused him of incest and sacrilege. And obviously, he didn't have any defense against this. He couldn't go, no, I wasn't sleeping with my sister, even though he was like doing that every day, probably. And he got excommunicated by the Bishop Germain of Paris. So there you go. He's the first Merovingian king to be excommunicated. That's something wow. to put on your uh, your tombstone. So just for a uh, clarification, because I'm going off memory here, the when a king is excommunicated, it almost effectively impacts or excommunicates the rest of the kingdom, right? It can. Oh, it and can. It okay. It depends how the church wants to take it. So you, they could say, I am not only excommuting this king, but I'm excommuting the entire kingdom. They can do that. I don't know if they always did. And, and Gregory wasn't really clear on this. It seemed like they were just after him and him alone and not the entire kingdom. Uh, this was something that I think we went over in the uh, lost episode of the medieval church. <laughs> yes, and, it is. And it's lost to time and space. So, yes. Never, never to show day. light, never to show the light of day again. So uh, so that was not the case here, right? That this, it, it was just the king that was getting excommunicated and not the whole kingdom. Yeah, I think if the kingdom was to like rally behind him or something, maybe. But I... There's nothing saying about the entire kingdom got excommunicated and that would it make sense in this case, because I think when we're saying that that's more like when the when the pape the pope the papacy starts excommunicating people, these people yeah. are within that kingdom, they don't want the kingdom excommunicated. Yeah. No, I, I was just curious because I wasn't sure if it was a hard and fast rule of, hey, king is excommunicated, therefore everyone underneath. No, I'm going to let you in a little secret in, in the way church works in the medieval ages. There's no hard and fast rules. They'll say there's hard and fast rules, <laughs> but there is no hard and fast rules. Fair enough. It's whatever the Pope says. That's, it's whatever, that's how I read it. He is literally infallible. So, yes. <laughs> Bet. All right. What's next? Uh, so... In the face of this hostility from the church, he went, oh, fine, I'll just annul the marriage. And then he married Teutichat Kild, who was the daughter of a shepherd. So. High class. You know, <laughs> hey, just because he's going to hell, at least he doesn't discriminate against marrying women of lower class. So does this offer any upward mobility? Oh, yeah. In I would assume, but oh yeah, this is the one way women and like w women, I mean, like one or two would able to get mobility. Yeah, this just feels like you know, like the in this case, I, I find it interesting that they say the daughter of a shepherd because you know we still reference back to the 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 lo the the most localized male in the household. So, exactly. Yeah, but like the, the dad's got to be like, fuck yeah, yeah, like, yeah exactly. Like, you know because. I got to, I don't have to provide for my child anymore. Like she's going off to great household or whatever. Exactly. And not just that sometimes, not always, but sometimes yeah, that like elevates the entire family. I have a feeling that's not the case here. 
It might not be the case. Not in this case here, but I think... For the very least. It could happen. For the very least. I feel like a lot of parents, they think about providing for their child. Yeah. Guess what this this guy succeeded in in glorious fashion by providing apparently uh, good genetics. <laughs> yeah, and once the, the church kind of gets a stranglehold on the way the kingdom works and things like that, this is going to start going away because you can't have multiple marriages. So therefore, the one wife you have better be of really good political influence because uh, you only get one shot at this. No, you can't just call them concubines and leave it uh, at that. I mean, you can, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still frowned upon. Well, we'll find it out when we get all to the it. time. Uh, anyway, the two have a son, so therefore he's got an heir. Unfortunately, the son dies in infancy, so it didn't happen for too long. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. A and then uh, in 567, under the age of 50, he was uh, visiting his lands in Aquitaine and just dies. Probably struck down just by the hands of God. Happens to, to the best of us. It really does. Uh, it appears he was survived by three of his wives, Ingoberger, Marokovetha, and Teutekild. And there is one confirmed child of his, and she will become Bertha of Kent. And that's our first official, I think, our podcast in our podcast connection to the British Isles. So that's kind of cool. Huh. We finally reached over there. Yeah. Uh, he is the first excommunicated Merovingian king, as we've decided, and therefore they didn't exactly have a protocol what to do with his body because he's excommunicated. He doesn't get to be buried with the rest of the kings. So he was buried in disgrace at Blavia Castellum, and this was an old military Roman fort in Amorica, France. Interesting. So I wonder if we still, I, it sounds like we know where his his corpse was though like it's i guess today yeah it could be i i would be inch i didn't see anything that you could see as where his corpse was or anything like that but i mean spoiler alert this guy doesn't sound like he did all that much and that he was really worth honoring or mythologizing uh for the modern day france no no he just really pissed off the church he was the <laughs> that's basically what he's known for yeah. So, well, all right. That's all I got for Kara, Bert. Uh, unfortunately, Gregory only wanted to talk about his love life, which is interesting. Uh, but we know nothing of how he actually ruled. So, <laughs> with that in mind, sounds like ready? he wasn't a fuck up. So, <laughs> you ready to rate him? Yeah. Let's go. All right. Royal power. He ruled from five. Oh, how do you th long do you think his reign was? Well, what, give him like 40 years? Because. Uh, try 561 to 567. So a little bit less than that, around six years. Oh, really? Yeah. So honestly, because like, I think the big one is that, like you said, like he died at the age of 50. And so it immediately made me think of, I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you knock off so many years. So. He was Clotaire's oldest child, therefore, yeah. when he became therefore, king, yeah, he, he had was so many... a lot older. Yeah, then no, no, that checks out. I'm so used to so many young kings that when someone says like, oh, 50, I'm like, oh, yeah, they could take 
ownership at age of like you know 15 10 yeah yeah and that will happen we'll have a lot of kings that'll take it the ownership of like 13 15 16 yeah it's absolutely terrifying when you think about teenagers having the power of a kingdom but anyway uh so he, as a result of being the oldest, he got the best kingdom. And from what we know, he held it the whole time. I noticed I never talked about war at all. So yeah. no factions wanted to break away. It sounded like in his own court. It sounded like he actually had a strong ally in his court. Um, the only thing is the church got the upper hand on him in the end. But again, the church has a ridiculous amount of power during the late antiquity period and is only going to get stronger from here on out. Yeah. And despite getting excommunicated, it doesn't seem to diminish his ability to rule. That's my take on it. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, yeah, it didn't seem like, oh, because he was excommunicated, they, there was a rise up or anything like that. It just seemed yeah. like you're just, just know you're going to hell. Just yeah. FYI. If, well, yeah, that's, that's a future, uh, that's a future me problem. <laughs> yeah caribert problem future caribert problem uh so if i had to give a number my first instinct and i'm a little bit wishy-washy on this one but my first instinct is like a six because it's five is to me like they hold more or less steady to a degree and then six because i think he's done a good enough job of maintaining the status quo kind of goes a little bit above like he had zero problems that yeah that we know of. could mean that his dad just did such a good job but but i mean yeah so he also I, I got the six best just because it was like it was really smooth <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go with straight up status quo five they cancel each other out i'm gonna knock him a little for losing a fight against the church but again i don't blame yeah. him too much because everyone's gonna lose a fight against the church if they decide to pick it it's just the way the yeah. cookie crumbles in this in this day and age. Not his papa. His papa does okay. All right. Well, in any case, six and a five for eleven. Infamy. All right. So obviously, big one. He was excommunicated. This is the definition of infamy these days. You were a social pariah, and by the way, you're on a fast pass to hell. Uh, marrying his sisters like his father was also pretty infamous acts based on how egregious Gregory thought it was. Granted, this is Gregory, not everyone else that we know of, but we only can go off of Gregory. So I'm going to go pretty yeah. high on this one. What are you thinking? I'm inclined to say an eight just because this doesn't, I obviously the, the, the church who is the metric for morality in the day and age says it's really bad but for me <laughs> yeah. it just feels like that there's a little bit more we've had more infamous people in the past so i'm i'm stick with an eight i uh, that's exactly what i was thinking because you have to give a lot because excommunication is no joke in this day and age it's yeah. not like right now you'd be like okay and <laughs> you know all right so uh with an eight and eight for 16 we will migrate our way to religious passion he went directly against the church. He tried to tax it. He got excommunicated for marrying his sister-in-law. And Carib and Gregory had nothing to say that he did 
for the church. I'm sure he may have done some things, but Gregory wanted to make sure that <laughs> he wanted us to make sure that we knew that Caribert was a horrible sinner destined for a fast pass to hell. So zeros yeah. all around. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zeros all around done stability. I didn't hear it. If anything bad, no wars, no invasions, just pissed off the church, which is a little unstable. Uh, he did yeah. not have an heir. Uh, I'll give the four. Like, uh, I mean, I know the air really stinks to high to, he to high heaven, but gosh, it just like it just sounds so gosh darn peaceful. Compared to what's been recently there, that is true. Yeah, I know. It's always you, you have to compare what's around it and that's or you, you instinctively do and yeah, that's tough. I'm honestly going to break my rule of knowing not doing any decimals per for myself, and I'm going to go 3.5. Yuck. All right. Royal Demise. Uh, He died. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a whopping zero for me. We don't even know. Just drop dead. Own yep. a cord. Nothing. With my time zeros all around legacy uh dynasty wise his only famous offspring is bertha of kent who she will be instrumental in establishing christianity over in the british isles and she'll later become mm. a saint so he's got that going for him uh otherwise his kingdom is split amongst his brothers and his wife is locked in a nunnery so you know his line's dead yeah uh I mean, sainthood in the family line is always kind of neat, but uh, I don't know. This feels like a three or a two to me, and I'm I'm kind of whiff waffling. I'm going one. I I'm going to go one. All right, I'll, I'll go two because I like saints. So two and a one for three. All right, how many total points? All right, so a my generous 20 to your uh wonky 17.5 <laughs> for the first halfsies ever 37.5 in total honestly not terrible we've had I worse mean, we've had worse yeah like <laughs> like the seven day king worse i mean that is true so just because he doesn't have the greatest of, you know, the greatest of uh, scores doesn't mean that he doesn't have that epicness to be crowned as high king and placed in the Hall of Legends. Or is he just kind of a minor king in the Hall of Mediocrity? Or is he just so bad at his job that he should be burned at the stake? Yeah, no, this he's pretty yeah, just middle of the road. Just he did his job. And he did okay. He gets that minor lord. I kind of want to burn him at the stake because, you know, he was sent straight to hell according to the church, but I'll agree with you. He's a minor king. Yeah, He's already been toasted enough. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so we'll spare him one more toasting and give uh, him the the minor lord. Yeah, so congratulations, Caribert. You avoided the flames of hell from us. 
you're placed in the great hall of mediocrity with the rest of our kings. <laughs> yeah, with the majority. With the majority of our kings. You didn't suck. That's the that's the award. You didn't suck award. What 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 Greek um th- th- what sh- is that the fields of Asphodel in Greek mythology where you just you're you're you, you weren't great or anything, but you were um, um yeah well yeah there's let's see yeah that sounds right hold on yeah because elysium's the good place right yeah okay thank you yes you're correct yeah it's As- fields so of asphodel. asphodel is asphodel is like the the medium place yeah and then yeah, he... i don't remember what the bad part is. is it tartarus yeah that yeah. sounds right yeah so congratulations you get to go live in asphodel for a thousand years before you're reborn in the world again you can meet the gray merchant of asphodel that's that's a magic card of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right that brings us to an end of caribert the first let us know what you thought of him do you agree with us placing him in the hall of mediocrity or do you think we should have set him on fire i Please don't think he was hiking. There's nothing there. Uh, you can catch us on Messenger on Facebook or Instagram at Quest for Power or email us at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star review on podchaser.com or wherever your podcasts are podded. Uh, tell us a, tell a friend or family member about us is also hugely appreciated. And honestly, I'll take that over a review. Uh, if you want to join the Lore Masters Guild and go on some side quest adventures with us, you can do so at patreon.com slash questforpower. Our latest released episode is an in-depth dungeon dive into the rise and fall of the Alamani tribe and their rivalry with Rome. That was kind of an interesting one. They just kind of popped up in, uh, in and out of history until Glovis took them out. And... Next session, we are going to review Caribert's brother, Sigibert the First. And with that, the king is dead. Long live the king. 